Hi, you're listening to the Perform, Prevent, Recover podcast, where we aim to bring you the latest evidence and research to enable you to perform at your best, prevent injury, and recover well. The Perform, Prevent, Recover podcast is brought to you by Southern Suburbs Physiotherapy Centre. I'm Anthony Lance, physiotherapist, co-founder of SSPC, and again, your host for today. Thanks for tuning in to episode eight, where basically we're going to be talking about the strange situation we find ourselves in, which is the current COVID environment and the return to sport that we're anticipating very soon and the injury risk which we're also anticipating and seeing in some sporting environments already. My, well, he's not really my guest today, he's my co-host and those of you that have listened to previous podcasts don't really need an introduction but I've got with me today my business partner and also uh, co-founder of SSPC, Rob O'Donnell. Rob has immense experience particularly in the running world both personally representing Australia uh, many years ago now he'll say and um, in his current role now as physio for various Australian teams and also treating runners of all levels here at SSPC. So we thought we'd just get together and have a general chat with no absolute idea of where this is going to go other than discuss what we think might happen and and should happen and um, maybe how we can prevent injuries uh, in the next month or six weeks before the return to sport. Welcome again, Rob O'Donnell. Thanks, mate. Um, it's strange uh, circumstances that bring us here today, and um, it was actually your idea that we sit down and just have a bit of a general discussion about these circumstances. And we are pretty used to talking to people about injury risk following layoffs, but um, normally a two or three, or you know, maybe a six-week injury layoff. But um, we're talking about a totally different set of circumstances now. Yeah, it's certainly been interesting and challenging times uh what we started middle of march sort of thing uh when we we first uh started to feel the effects of of covid and uh, here we are end of may yeah well certainly as you said we could talk about the business side for a long time but let's let's get straight into it and talk about what we're seeing uh, or what we've seen over the last eight to ten weeks and what we're expecting to see uh, with the inevitable and, and hopeful return to sport. So I suppose if we look internal first and say that at SSPC, certainly, and as with a lot of other places, um, a very heavy exercise reliance, and, and even with our own groups, which might be Pilates or our arthritis groups, our, our hydro, um, our strength uh, class for runners, uh, lots of different classes we run. Um, they've all stopped um, effective as of early April and we're, certainly I am, but I'm sure you are too seeing the effects from the people that used to attend those classes that, that can't at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think especially, uh, say, the GLAD classes, the, the arthritis classes that uh, I was involved in, and even hydrotherapy. I've had many patients uh, who I've spoken to who normally do hydro, um, so exercise in water. Uh, their 
a lot of them get social benefits as much as anything out of it and their routine involves going to those couple of exercise classes per week and they tend to just drop off once they they can't fit into their normal routine they they're not doing as much exercise and and uh paying the penalty for it yeah and it's certainly interesting like my involvement too is is more that that pilates or group physio side and i've had people in in my class for the you know the same class weekly for 10 years and you start to think gosh what is this exercise doing for them do they really need to come and do they need to be here week after week and as with a lot of things, it's only when that's gone that you start to think, gee, it, it actually is really helping them because the amount of people that are ringing in or, or, or doing some Zoom classes with us and saying, gosh, you know, my back is stiff again or my knee, and it's quite amazing. And you think that just a consistency of sometimes even once a week of good exercise uh, really goes a long, long way towards maintaining your health. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned that. I, I had a um, girl in this morning who's a regular in, in Pilates but does a lot of extra running and other exercise and she was saying that she uh, did a, a Pilates session um, last weekend for the first time in, what is it, six, eight weeks. Um, she was just doing a uh, individual Pilates session and was amazed how sore, muscle sore, um, she felt from that and so it just shows that again just doing that one session each week um, of, of different strengthening exercises can have a real effect and, and then you get that that deconditioning detraining effect from from just missing that out. Yeah absolutely and and it's quite ironic actually as you said because we're we're seeing a lot of people that have gone from the really structured sessions that almost in a way don't know what to do when that structure's gone but there's that other side of people that didn't have the structure I mean we only got to walk down the street or drive past a local park and it seems like there's hundreds of people come out of the woodwork and they're, they're walking or they're kicking the footy with their kids or we know we've had a lot of people and, and one of our physios wrote a blog on this on you know everyone's starting to do a 5k run because 5k just seems a number but we've also got that other side of people we've got to be careful of and, and, and it's a good problem to have in a way but there's those people that have found time and um, uh, increasing exercise without any really knowledge of how to do it or what volume or what intensity and that poses risks on its own yeah it's there's no doubt uh, it's it's funny when you look at it like I, I know even just my family um, so we've regularly and we would very rarely um, get get all the bikes out and, and you know go for a ride down the park and I think a lot of people just being trapped indoors and trying to get the kids active and do something you're seeing all these families out exercising together so that's that's fantastic and hopefully we keep seeing that in the future but it's also been that people can't do anything else other than ride a bike or go for a run so we've had a lot of people who as you say are just doing more running or more bike running so more exercise that they wouldn't normally do that their body's probably not as conditioned for and and that does lead to uh, some potential injuries and would you say just over the 10 weeks which is a which is a pretty good sample size really do you reckon you're seeing more people that were regular with exercise that now aren't having problems or are you seeing this other population that weren't exercising that now are having problems? Where's where's the 
Where's the greatest risk, do you think? Uh, it's a bit of both. Probably the latter uh, is, is what I'm seeing more of. But I, I'm certainly seeing people who are, are regular exercisers, but now, and they're still doing exercise, maybe some different exercise, um, so they, they have a, a risk um, or an increased risk, risk there in that they're just loading different joints, different muscles. But we're seeing a lot of people who are now working from home, so different office setups, um, so we're getting more postural problems and that sort of thing from, from just change of, of their, their everyday life. Yeah, and so if we look at if we look at uh, I suppose the real problem we want to talk about, which was which again, it's a great problem that we've now got this return to sport scenario, which is a realistic option in front of us. But the big problem is is the length of time. So I think if we just you know for people that might be listening at slightly different times after this, you know where we're at now with our COVID regulations. Uh, uh, we can we can have sporting teams working in a couple of groups of ten, but you know maximum of twenty on a on on an oval or in an area, still socially distancing. Uh, we haven't got any organised indoor sport yet. Uh, there's oh, there's a bit of a, AFL contact allowed, but certainly no contact with any of those other community-based sports and. Um, the AFL is a really interesting one because they've just allowed from, uh, in fact, the start of this week, so four or five days ago, they, they're back to full contact training twice a week with a two-and-a-half-week preparation to return to, to what is an elite-level sport on, on June 11. And it's interesting, we're already seeing, you know, every day we read the paper and there's another calf and there's another hammy and, and Buddy Franklin, for those that follow the AFLs, just got a, a, a half-a-season um, hamstring, which is interesting. There was another ACL last night, so the, the injuries are certainly coming thick and fast and, and, and we'll talk about that, but... You know, as we get back into private school sports going to come back, uh, junior football training is going to come back with, with maybe games and, and certainly other indoor, once we get the indoor openings, you've got the, the gyms and the dancers and the gymnasts, etc. all coming back. So do you want to start and tell uh, or explain what what do you see as the biggest issue with all of this sudden return to sport uh, after what we're talking is essentially a 10-week layoff. Yeah, well, I, I see there being two major problems. Basically, it's there's no way that you can replicate in training what you do in game time. So the with the increase in intensity of sport um, and, and rapid increase in intensity, so they've basically gone from very little, they may have done some self-training, and, and I'm probably talking about the lower levels, the, the elite level people. Uh, uh, they, it's still inevitable that they're going to have some soft tissue problems, and, and I'm sure we'll talk about that in more detail. But uh, they're, they're much better conditioned. They've got a lot more people. I think, um, you know, all the staff around AFL clubs uh, will, will be... They're very aware of the fact that we're talking about it and we know that there's going to be increased risk. They will be doing the same and take every possible precaution that they can. But at the, at the lower level where people have just deconditioned, and I was, I was reading one of your blogs from back in November and I, I encourage everyone to have a look at that as far as how quickly people decondition 
not necessarily doing total rest because hopefully everyone out there's done a bit of exercise over the last 10 weeks but even relative rest so they're they're just doing less and and different to what they normally would how quickly their body um, changes and deconditions and and how how slowly you, you tend to recondition so we know that the slower someone can progress exercise, as in progressively increase exercise, the less risk. Um, but really, we're looking at you know training, as you said, starting um, early June and and potentially um, for for lower levels playing sometime in July, um, or even if if we look at the AFL, you know, over a month or so, they're going going from small groups to um, you know competitive training and then matches in in a few weeks' time. Um, it's it's sudden increases in load that put the body at great risk. Yeah, and we'll talk about that because, you know, you really think, well, faced with a situation that the AFL have and, and every other sport, there's there's no real other way. Like, we've just been let loose mm. and, and there's competition in two and a half weeks and you've got to get ready and it, and it goes against all the principles and protocols that we would normally um, be giving to people. But, you know, I, I also take from the AFL as you said their their support services are so good that if ever a group of athletes were going to maintain as much conditioning as they could during a lockdown period it would be the AFL guys but within five days we've seen so many injuries come out of training that it's actually a little scary to think of what where we're more involved community sport local sport school sport where no doubt the training's been a bit less but they're going to be coming back to an intensity that for them is 100% intensity, but but they've their, their base level fitness has dropped away a lot further than those AFL players. So it, it's sort of it's a little bit scary to think uh, what what we might be seeing when these people come back. Yeah, it's just you'd think it's it's inevitable, and and as you say, we're seeing it with the AFL guys, and uh, um, we know there was there was a study from from the the Bundesliga um, soccer competition over in Germany, and I think they were talking about like a, a three times um, in, increase in in the rate of injuries um, in in return from from COVID, and again. We're talking about the elite level of sport um, where uh, I'm not sure uh, how well set up their, their support services are and things, but, you know, they, they're on enormous dollars. So I imagine they've got, got incredibly good support services and, and they've seen a three times increase in, in rate of injury. So it would seem inevitable that we're going to see it even at the top level in the AFL. But yeah, at the lower level, where uh, you know all the people that are largely listening to this, where they're they're not going to have maintained anywhere near the condition that the AFL guys. So as you said, their step up is basically from from nothing to what for them will be a hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely, and 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 that was quite an, an interesting report that one that you mentioned in Germany because when when you keep reading further down, you're right. They said a three times injury. Uh, increase they found when they returned to sport post that COVID lockdown. But but further down that, that research too was the fact that one club lost five of its starting team in the lead up to the game. So it wasn't only the injury risk in the games, it's actually in this training, which we're, again we're seeing in the AFL. It's the lead up where we're, we're losing and potentially losing a lot of people. So um, we need to be really, really careful with this sort of stuff. Um, and, and as you touched on before, and we mentioned it in a blog 
uh, yeah, it must have been November where with the deconditioning. And I think the question we're being asked now, and, and certainly we're dealing with one of our major sporting clubs here at SSPC, is is how long ideally do we need to lead in back to competitive sport like given given if you had as much time as you, as you had and there's a there's another interesting bit of evidence that was put out by the AIS and and they were determining um, what sort of training load do you need or, or how long do you need basically to return to full training load after a layoff and and there's there's a really great table they put out and and, and if we look at um, a couple of examples they say that if somebody is training at 40% of their previous load for a period of six weeks, it's going to take them almost five weeks to return to full training level. And and that's not games. That's just a full training level to then have, you know, what we'd say is a couple of full training weeks under their belt to get back to sport. So all of a sudden with, with six weeks off, and, and remembering with COVID, we'd, we've had almost 10 um, that if people are training at, at 40%, and, and if we look further and we say even if people think they're training at 80% um, over eight weeks, then they're still going to need almost four weeks of a progressive build-up to, to get back to full load. And we're just not going to get that time, are we? No, that's that's the, the biggest problem is, is we're in a time window where obviously at the local level they, they move from uh, winter sports to summer sports like usually we'll we'll have kids uh, starting cricket training as footy the normal footy season for for local sports ends in August um, and you know by the start of September they're doing cricket now obviously they're going to push seasons along a little bit but they're still they're just under time pressure to get things going to get any sort of season done um, and, you know, it'll come down to that old risk-reward thing. Is, is the risk worth the, the reward? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and we'll go into that. But what, what makes me think, um, looking at the window, the short window of opportunity we've got, and this has sort of prepared people for what they might be um, needing to monitor, what injuries, and let's talk about your main sport, which is running, um, as people are coming off off modified programs and thinking, oh, I'll get back into into competitive events. What sort of niggles and injuries do you think we're going to see in the running world? Well, the mo- it depends a little bit on age, um, but the most common is definitely lower leg, so shin splints, Achilles problems, stress fractures, these sort of overload issues. Um, and again, we're, we're often looking at uh, deconditioning of the, the, the calf-ankle complex. Um, so we're running, uh, and we're seeing the same thing in those, what we were talking about earlier with um, uh, people just doing more running because they couldn't do anything else during COVID. We, we had the same problems where just the, the load that people are putting through their, their muscles and joints is so much more than what they're used to uh, and it takes the body time to adapt you know in an ideal training program that we were just talking about um, you know the slower we can progress someone the less injury risk but 
it just doesn't fit in with reality. So, you know, I would expect that we'll see um, basically uh, patellofemoral joints and knee knee sort of soreness, uh, shin splints, some stress fractures, Achilles problems, those sort of things. Yep, good, and and probably similar in football and soccer you know we're looking at the soft tissue things just the the deconditioning of the of the muscular system so as we said we've already seen the hammies and and the calves but probably a greater risk and there was one last night is is the acls and again we talk about you know strength and conditioning but but a lot of what people aren't getting at the moment is the cutting and the pivoting and the the jumping and the landing and and that all done um, without thought. So again, we find a lot of people will train and, and know that they're about to, to cut or pivot, but a lot of the injury comes with that that unanticipated change of direction. And a lot of the injury, particularly around ACLs, actually comes with fatigue and, and people just aren't getting into into levels of fatigue. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Fatigue is a, is a big one um, because we traditionally, um, so a season, you know, the pre-season being over summer and, and starting up March, April sort of thing, we see, traditionally we see ACLs or the most of our ACLs happen uh, pre-season and early season. Um, so whether that is, as, as we said before, there's, there's just no comparison between training and, and games, um, so the intensity of games, so fatigue becomes a factor there. But I also think at the, normally at the start of the season our grounds are much harder. We've come out of uh, summer and, and, and we've got hard grounds and I often wonder what part that plays in, in those early season ACLs because there's no doubt we don't see as many later in the season and whether this time with, with grounds being a bit softer will we see less ACLs so will it be fatigue that gets involved or, or will it because the grounds are a bit softer um, will we have less of them? Time yeah. will tell. Yeah, absolutely. We might need to come back in, well, not September, maybe October or November and review the stats and see what's happened. But I suppose the other sport that, that we tend to see across our clinics a lot are the jumping sports, the, the dancers and the, the gymnasts. And, and it's interesting there too because certainly the concern is that a lot of these, um, often younger kids in those sports who do a lot of jumping, and, and it's not so much the jumping, it's the landing but we're finding that a lot of them aren't doing it at home because, I mean, number one, it's harder on Zoom and, and when you haven't got a teacher in front of you. But a lot of them have got floorboards, so they're not wanting to jump on floorboards. So there's an avoidance of jumping and all of a sudden, hopefully in a couple of weeks, they're back to the studios um, doing jumping again. So again, for those athletes, you know, we worry about um, bone stress injuries. Again, you know, other lower limb things and knees, but certainly stress fractures around the foot can be disastrous in a jumping athletes so you know are people getting enough jumping and landing uh, work in their training loads at the moment that that's something that needs to be looked at and if we look at another specific sport and it's really look it was the last time that we had a um, definite sustained lockout or, or, or a close down a sport and we've got to go back about nine years and it's the NFL so it's a different sport and 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 we know that it is a different time and and sports science and and physios and strength and conditioning is a bit better now but but at the same time what what happened um, nine years ago the NFL had a had a lockout and it's so eerily similar to where we're at now so they they had about a two-week pre-season so almost what we're seeing in the AFL and 
what happened, they compared this two-week pre-season post, I think it was four or five-month uh, lockdown they had, and, and they had 12 Achilles ruptures during that two-week pre-season, so before the, the season had even started. So in that sport that does have a, a, a bit of um, sprint and a bit of push-off, um, they had yeah 12 Achilles ruptures compared to two in their regular season um, with a regular pre-season. So those sort of stats, again, tell us we could be in for a rocky ride during those shortened pre-seasons. Yeah, that's an amazing study. Um, and I, I reckon it would be uh, frightening for the AFL, uh, as in, in as in at the elite level, um, because, you know, NFL, uh, very different sport, but they're probably the same sort of power as far as push-off and sudden take-off and that sort of thing that, that might be uh, loading those Achilles. Um, ironic, it's amazing that... Uh, think if I've got my seasons right the NFL uh, this this fell pretty well for them so they're they're now pre-season I think their season starts uh, later in the year um, September October sort of thing at the end of the AFL season um, so uh, hopefully they're they're able to uh, avoid some of those issues again yeah well let's um, let's finish by going into what we think clubs and athletes should do and look there is no right answer to this because everyone's going to be coming off different loads and different rest periods and and, and a different uh, return to sport time but certainly when you know what I think is a great way for people to think about this before we go into what what we think we should do is is Tim Gabbard, who's one of the, if not the leading sports scientist in the world at the moment. Brilliant. Yeah, he, he talks about uh, the basement, the floor and the ceiling, and it's such a great way to look at where we're at now. And, and, and by that, he talks about the ceiling, which is the maximum or, or, or the heights that we want to attain to, and, and that's often your competition day, so the maximum level that you are going to perform at so that's our goal that's our aim and he'll talk about the floor which is which is our current level of fitness um, and he'll also talk about the basement which is when we drop into low levels of fitness be it through injury or illness or holiday or what we're faced with now COVID where a lot of people are going to be in the basement and and it's a great concept to where during the season and certainly why pre-seasons are so hard is that you're trying to get your floor up as close to the ceiling as 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 you can so that you don't have those or too many of those spikes in loads and and the closer you can get the floor to the ceiling the less injury risk now at the moment we're faced with plenty of basements or, or floors that are so low that we've got to get them up to the ceiling really quickly yeah, and time's the enemy. Yeah. Um, to get that floor as close to the ceiling, you just need time. Yep. So one of the one of the rules that I know comes up a lot and, and, and you read about it, and certainly I use it, um, uh, certainly wouldn't use it in this case, but the 10% rule, which is that you shouldn't ever have or try to have too much more than a 10% spike in your load from one session to the next. Now... If we took the 10% rule for most of our athletes, we'd still be training them in January next year to get them to the ceiling. So what do you think about the 10% rule? 
Yeah, it's always been, or long has been used as, as a bit of a guide, certainly in, in the running circles um, that, that I play around in. Um, they, they use that 10% rule and these days uh, the, the science, like everything, has moved on a little bit and we talk about acute versus chronic workloads. Um, but, yeah, as you say, either way, uh, we can go into the acute versus chronic um, workloads. Again, uh, I think you did a blog a, a while ago that's... Um, worth people looking at there but uh, be it whichever method you use time is is going to be their their number one enemy so we've just got to do as well as we can in the circumstances and that is you know try and minimize really acute spikes as much as we can spikes in load um, and and just accept that it, it might have an effect on performance because that's the other that's the 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 driving factor that if we accept that performances may be um, a bit lower because we've got a people are, uh, are less fit, um, that that might be our, our safest way. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think too, uh, you know, in the ten percent rule, you know, has been uh, reasonably common um, before, but I, I think my general take on the ten percent rule is the. The less fit you are, so if your floor is low or you're in the basement, then the less relevant the the ten percent rule is. Number one, because it'll take you forever to to build up. But I think where where I like to use ten percent, if somebody's floor is close to their ceiling, so if they are training really hard and they are close to maximum performance, then you know the ten percent rule can be quite good to give them a guide because you don't want them spiking twenty percent or, or or they're potentially over their maximum so i think we can say and again it's so hard to give people an exact uh, um, idea on what to do but if you're coming off really low loads then you can probably reasonably safely with a good program and good advice you can go you know sometimes well more than 10 percent and and still be pretty safe yeah it, it comes back to that that risk reward doesn't it um the 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 bigger the spike people do and the more risk they take obviously the the more likely they are to get injured but if people have really good bases or have had a really good base then their body you know their their robustness is a word we often use um they're, they're more likely to be able to cope with a few of those spikes but uh, you're 100 right if their floor is closer to the ceiling they'll they'll uh, be more relevant with with 10 rules and in chronic versus acute workloads and we've kind of just got to uh, uh rejig things if if we're starting from the basement yeah and so again this is not um this is not uh, advice for people to to go out and do without uh, discussion relative to your own sport and, and your own fitness. But given you know, let's say we've we've got this short period of time, what do we tell coaches or athletes? How do they approach the next? period do they go as hard as they can to get as fit as they can and then hold it for a few weeks or do they let's say say they've got four weeks do they try and get as fit as they can in a week or two and sustain it or do they use all four weeks or how how do we use this short period of time yeah there's the 64 million dollar question and what a lot of uh, clubs and and things are going to uh, battle with I, th I think the big thing with training is it's as much an art as it is science in that reading how different players because they're they're all different their bodies are different they'll cope with loads differently 
Um, they, they will all have been doing slightly different training during the breaks. Um, so it's, it's really up to individual coaches at club level and um, you know, all the, the uh, support services at, at the elite level, but just um, trying to talk to individual players and monitor how they're individually responding to the loads that they're, um, they're, they're trying to absorb. And that's the big thing is you know, if they're doing a hard session and they're pulling up sore from it, which is a good indication that their, their body is struggling to adapt and absorb what they're doing, they've clearly got to back off. So if they're, if they're coping, if they're pulling up well, then they're probably going to take a few more risks and, and keep pushing them. Yep, sure. And I think too, you know, and, and I suppose at local uh, community, even school level, we've got that slight advantage that we're going to have a fraction more time. It's not going to be like the AFL that we've got two and a half or three weeks. And, and look, I think too, my advice to people is, um, number one, have a look. We'll, we'll leave the um, AIS paper link in our show notes and, and have a bit of a look at it. And I think it's advisable for people to work backwards and and my general thing, you know, I think the shortest period of time ideally in these circumstances would be people are back training fully at maximum for a couple of weeks and if this AIS paper tells us that people are needing four to five weeks to get get to that level, then we're saying, hey, we all of a sudden need six or seven or eight weeks and they need to be starting now and they need to be training with an absolute thought in mind to be to be getting that floor up as quick as they can. So I think working backwards is good. Um, some people will be time constrained, but but you don't really want to be work, working forwards and finding that, gosh, in four weeks you're at 80% and you haven't even had that two weeks to be to be near to 100%. So, so that's my general take on it. So I think... Um, I think uh, referring to that table, people could get quite a lot of information out of it. And again, it's just a general guideline. Um, and is there anything anything you can advise um, people, anything you've seen that people can look at to, to get some more info? Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, the, the blogs on our website, so if you just go to uh, sspc.com.au um, and go back, uh, look, look for um, re- reducing injuries following rest periods, uh, the, the acute versus chronic workloads, the effects of detraining, um, they're all there from um, recent, basically November through until now, we've done various blogs on some of these um, topics so they're all well worth a read um, but I think you just uh, what, what you were just talking about is a really good thing is is work backwards plan that um, if seasons are starting in the middle of July that we we do want to try and get some base fitness in over the next few weeks with then the view that hopefully you're, you're, you've got that uh, um, floor closer to the ceiling and you can really attack your last couple of weeks leading into uh, game time yeah yeah and I think um, I think that's the same for me my, my take-home message is simple is that uh, if you're planning on getting back uh, whenever we're, we're allowed then you need to get training now and you need to get training as hard as you safely can from now yeah, as I always say uh, in running terms, listen to your body. Uh, it, it will kind of give you some warning signs. And if you're struggling um, to, if you're pulling up sore from training sessions, it's a good indication that your body's struggling to cope with the load that you're doing. 
Um, so just modify things. Don't stop. Keep uh, doing whatever as hard as you can and pulling up well. Um, so do something. Um, but yep, get out there and, and start now. No worries. So thanks for joining us today. Great. Pleasure. And uh, we'll all speak again soon. Thanks for joining us today, everybody. Hope you've enjoyed it. Um, it's a difficult topic where we really don't have um, a lot of hard scientific evidence to give you, but our, our idea was just to sit and have a general chat about the the issues we're facing as physios and the thoughts we're having and the references that we're looking at to try and make our decisions. And as mentioned, we'll put those on the show notes for you and we strongly recommend you go and have a look. Um, but it's interesting times. There's certainly going to be uh, a lot of injuries, but I'm sure there's going to be a lot of injuries that we can prevent if people can can really take heed and, and get training um, hard but safely now. And um, hopefully you won't need to uh, see your local physio. So thanks again for joining us and we look forward to um, bringing the next episode to you soon. Mm-hmm.